professional tennis coach Jack Brody on the podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by BrodyTennis.com. If you are interested in becoming a great tennis player, recreational tennis player, check out the website. Just wanted to uh, start off the podcast by saying I listened to the first part of the Roscoe Tanner interview we spoke about it briefly hearing from a guy who won two grand slams in the 70s massive serve he was in jail and uh the ups and downs of his career but uh for those of you who are interested in tennis players in general you should definitely go to brodytennis.com and check out that interview that jack did so guys today being the first day of the u.s open tennis tournament jack and i are gonna just talk about our thoughts on the game. This should be a great episode. So, Jack, what's up, man? How's it going? Hey, it's all good, man. It's all good. Uh, and that interview was really special. Uh, I, I've done some recently. Uh, I did one last week with um, Dante Bottini. He's the coach for um, Grigor Dimitrov. And he was the coach for 10 years for Kei Nishikori. And the last two years, he did it with Michael Chang. So that was pretty interesting as well. But that Tanner interview, man, that was heavy. You only saw the first part. The second part, we talk about jail. We talk about God, faith. I mean, this guy, you got to understand, Tanner was, he was Arthur Ashe's doubles partner. So he's very, he grew up. And in a very iconic time in the mid seventies, when ATP just began, he had the first ranking. He was in the first rankings of the ATP number four. And it's a heavy time, you know, battle of the sexes, Bobby Riggs, all that stuff. And so the second half, the second part, which I'll post next week, that, that got pretty heavy. That got pretty heavy. It was, he, he really, uh, he really uh, let loose and it was quite uncensored. You know, I asked him some personal questions and he gave me some great answers. You know, the guy was on the top of the mountain and you know, you, you know, you know, ups and downs, man, we all yeah, have for real. this and guy, this guy had high, high highs and very low lows, you know? And the game of tennis has changed so much in the past 50 years, but also this country. And I heard you talking about how, you know, there were country clubs that said no dogs, no Jews, no blacks. And it was just, yeah. it, it was a, it was a crazy yeah. time. And people don't really think about that as no. much, you know, you see the game of tennis dominated by Europeans and still dominated by white guys, just cause like, that's how, that's the, what the culture was. And you're only starting to see um, more minorities break into the top 50, top 25. And it's really great to see. And you're seeing, a bunch of players that really deserve to be at the top. Well, you're right. And I think when you have historical view, you know, when you look, I'm old dude now, so I can look back to the seventies when I was your age or maybe eighties, I was your age, but still seventies, I was a teenager. You know, we talk about racism today. You don't even know what racism was real racism back in the early seventies and probably mid sixties and late sixties where you couldn't even have a tennis player play at your club for practice, let alone play a tournament. I let mean, me ask you, know. you this, Jack, when you were playing college tennis at Chapel Hill, did you kind of see that? I mean, when you were going to other schools in the sec, maybe you were going up to the Northeast and seeing, kind of just different vibes what did that look like yeah you know I played the ACC um you know I had a little trouble uh, I I always felt like there was a little bit of a bias um even at my own team 
it seemed like me and Dave Oberstein and another Jewish guy, we were beating guys, you know, that were still being played ahead of us. Can't say for sure, but really? I felt it. I felt it. And I definitely thought he did because he was, he should have been number four on the team. And I don't think he was playing even six or maybe seven, but um, that always got to me, but it was just uh, an assumption on my part. I can't really say, but no, things were getting better in the late seventies, but certainly, like I said, we would see, Weldon Rogers, my doubles partner, black guy, he was like top five in the country. Of course, Ash was, Ash was one, but he, he was top five. And we would go to tournaments and you'd see these signs, especially in Florida and the South. And you could see they were faded, but I could read no Jews, no dogs, no blacks. I mean, it was unbelievable for me to have to go to those tournaments and go, <laughs> It felt really funny, you know, felt really strange. But I think things changed very quickly in the 70s, towards the end of the 70s. And certainly in the last 50 years, you know, black president, you know, there's a million tennis players that are black and Hispanic and everything else. Um, Yeah, because I mean, it started as a country club game. And now, you know, the real athletes are playing. I was just actually at the U.S. Open yesterday. For those of you who don't know, check out the Ted Jones vlog. And uh, it, it was crazy to see just how many good players there are from all different walks of life, countries, and everybody can play now. First round yesterday of the qualifying tournament, the guys who are not even seated in the tournament. I mean, they're doing well in challenger events, and it's great to see, you know, at the top level, but you can only really make it in tennis now if you're top 100. I mean, that's always kind of been the case, but if you look at the prize money of the guys who are losing in the first round now, 80,000, you're making it to the second round, 120,000. So for some of these guys, like that's life changing money for the entire year. Yeah. And you know, it was interesting back to Roscoe again, because he was an insider, obviously top five guy. He was telling me how back in those days, you didn't have a team of nutritionists and chiropractors and massage. He says, you traveled, even in the top 10, you traveled with your doubles partner. And that was it. No coach, just your dubs partner. And he was who you practiced with, hung out with. Uh, you know, he helped you. He coached you a little bit. He said, oh, yeah, Ash and I would coach each other. We'd watch each other's matches. And so you didn't have the entourage you do today. So that really... Um, makes it even a little bit more unfair for the guys that aren't in the top 50 or top hundred because they can't afford all these guys, the entourage going with them and taking care of them. Right. They, they, they live with three, three guys, four guys to a hotel and it's cheap. And so they're not going to be as ready as, you know, the guys in the top 50. I mean, people who are struggling trying to make ends meet, they don't have the excess money, the coaches, the, trainers and stuff so it's very hard to compare tennis now to tennis 30 years ago and even in basketball too you know you watch guys like kareem abdul jabbar one of the greats people will say that maybe he's the greatest basketball player of all time you talk about rod laver being the greatest tennis player of all time but then you watch Federer, and it's just a completely different level maybe you know if they were if they both were born in the year 1975 maybe you can compare the two, but comparing generations of talent, it's hard to do when you just see the level increasing, increasing. And a guy like Carlos Alcaraz, who's 19 years old, bashing the ball. We've never seen a player like him. You know, he's five foot, or excuse me, the last time we spoke, I said he was like five foot 10. But anyway, six foot one, he's a skinny guy. 
you're seeing just such a new development, even in these academies, lifting weights by the time they're 14 years old. Yeah, it's a whole different world. I mean, these comparisons, you know, like uh, Labor to Federer. I mean, that's for that's for Facebook pros. It's just it's silly to even it's really it's silly to talk about. It's silly to talk about. It's like, you know, even comparing basketball players and that sport hasn't changed much. But it's silly to, to try and compare Michael Jordan to LeBron or this or that. Uh, it's just, you know, it didn't happen. So we'll never know anyway. And, and it's just a matter of opinion. But like I one, said, they do that on that Facebook I think we have and stuff seen all the time. One thing that I think we have seen change in basketball from the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's to LeBron James is just the way that the ball is handled and the way the ball is taken care of. Like there's so many more dribbling drills that I think are focused around educating today's basketball players and also tennis, you know, like tennis back in the day, Roscoe Tanner was a guy with a massive serve, right? That's really, when you think of Roscoe Tanner, you think of huge serve. You're not like, Oh, don't pull him out to the forehand. Cause he's going to pass you every single time. So it was more like a Andy Roddick was kind of the last guy where it was like, okay, watch out for that guy, sir. You know, and now yeah. everybody's kind of got every shot. Yeah, you know, I'm kind of like you. I'm guessing you study, like we both looked at the uh, draw this morning, right? And I studied a little bit. I watched the fifth set uh, of Wimbledon uh, when uh, Borg versus Roscoe, when Roscoe lost to Borg 6-4 uh, in the fifth. And it was a hell of a match. I mean, it really was. But, you know, he was known for his serve. But, geez, I mean, the guy could volley. He was quick as hell. You couldn't give him a passing shot. He would take it. I mean, these guys were still pretty damn good. I mean, it's not like he was all serve. Um, I think you could say more Andy Roddick was more all serve and forehand. I mean, he just, he didn't do that well. And then it, it, that's the amazing part to me. I watched some old matches recently. Everyone came to net. And, and, and that was the thing about Wimbledon. I looked at the court in the finals. The courts today are manicured. Even in the finals, you look at that court in the finals with Borg. It was dirt. By the time those two weeks, <laughs> I'm serious. By the time those two weeks were up, it was dirt. I mean, it was dirt all along the baseline and all along the service line. So it was almost like playing on clay, you know? No, but, but no, Tanner, he could volley and, you know, he, he had great footwork and there were a lot of things I saw, which were incredible. And you had Vetus Gerolitis from New York and he was the same, you know, incredibly quick, unbelievable hands at net. So the game has just changed, you know, now with the bigger rackets, everyone just stays back and blasts uh, until now. Cressy, of course, Cressy's come along and he, he he's, uh, you know, he rushes and crushes. He gets up there. Yes. Yeah, slicing uh, and dicing. And also yesterday, I have never seen so many drop shots over the like per point than I have yesterday at the open. And I think people are really starting to use their touch. You remember when back in the day, like four years ago, Nick Kyrgios was like messing around doing the underhand serves and stuff. And people were looking down at him negatively. And now people are using drop shots a lot, maybe not as much underarm serves, but people are trying to find ways to craft people off the court. Cause you're seeing guys return from 15 feet beyond the baseline when we never saw that before. No. No, no, no. You didn't. You wanted to cut off the angle back in those days, but now these guys are so quick. Like you were mentioning, Alcaraz, guy, guy moves like uh, he moves like Nadal. It's inc young Nadal. He's incredible. Um, 
Yeah, no, it's it's a whole different world. Did you enjoy yourself? I love those early qualifying rounds. It's a lot yeah, of fun. Man. And you know, I, when I got there, I was like, oh my God, this is so relaxed. I should have brought my videographer because I just brought the vlog cam and I was holding it and it was fun. But next year, I know if the US Open doesn't give me a pass, which I'm sure they will next year, but like got to bring the videographer with me and uh, just get the whole experience because it's so loose, so laid back. And dude, it, it, is. Was so, it was, I went at 4 p.m. because we, the, they had the peace for play event for Ukraine at 7 p.m. And it was still so hot out there, but it was oh, a great yeah. time. I, I enjoyed myself, saw some good matches and everybody can play at the U.S. Open, you know? Oh, yeah. Even those qualities. In fact, it's almost like watching college basketball. The qualities have so much energy and these guys are so pumped up. You know, everyone's trying to make themselves a name. They know they're just one tournament away from making themselves a name, you know, and, uh, no, I, I love the qualities. I used to walk around, uh, Queens. I used to walk around Flushing Meadows and I used to walk around Forest Hills when I was 13 years old <laughs> and we'd, and we'd always go for the qualities because like you said, it's casual. You just walk around. I mean, I got back in the locker rooms. I was talking to guys, Pancho Gonzalez, everyone's giving me autographs. It was casual back yep. then. I guess uh, Rafa was practicing, right? Did you see him? Well, Rafa actually was in this event, this uh, piece for play event with Ukraine. He played mixed doubles. Oh, with, with McEnroe, e the mixed doubles? Yeah, he played mixed doubles with Iga Swiatek and then John McEnroe I, I played it. with Coco Golf. They did just like a quick 10-point tiebreaker. Wasn't a lot of energy being exposed, but Rafa no. was on court for 20 minutes. And some of the, the best shots I saw from Rafa was when he was just hitting down the line with McEnroe. You could just see the way like his energy transfers more so than any other pro, you know, that I saw yesterday and have seen in general. Dude, I, I still love I watch you do that figure eight, man. You got it, bro. You I got, got it. it. You should be always listening. Dude, what are you, I've, had, I've had enough lessons from you, man. Of course I got it. You should be. I don't know why you're not qualified. Why didn't you try the qualities hey, this year? Because, dude, I'm not playing. You think Ted Jones is going to play in the qualities, man? If they give me a main draw spot, then I'll play. Main draw <laughs> okay. wild card, then I'll play. So, Jack, let's get to, let's get to it, man. Let's talk a little bit about this U.S. Open tournament. All right. Beginning today, you guys check out ESPN or the Tennis Channel on your local cable network. So, Daniil Medvedev, the one seed. Rafa Nadal, the two seed. And of course, as we spoke about earlier, Novak Djokovic is not playing. So what are your thoughts on the tournament, man? Well, of course, I'm disappointed again. I mean, I mean, Djokovic plays two grand slams this year. I mean, in many, many, many say he's the greatest of all time. Uh, you know, and I, I can't deny that. I mean, I, I think there's two or three greatest of all time, but uh, like I said, it's hard to compare, but he certainly is right up there with 20, 20 grand slams. I think 22. I think 22. He has the lead, maybe. No, that's Rafa's got 22. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Rafa's got 22. So he, uh, Djokovic is behind him. And so I think that's a real shame. Uh, you know, uh, I don't want to get political, but, you know, COVID, I mean, for most of us, COVID's kind of over. So for them to deny him when you're on a tennis court, you know, with umpteen room, nobody gets close to you. The ball boy gets eight feet away from you. So I, I just can't figure that out. But it is what it is. He's not playing. I read it this morning, just this morning. Uh, I don't know. I saw those things. You sent me something this morning, like the predicted quarters. I don't know if I go for that. Medvedev has not had the best year. Yeah, he won it last year, and that's going to help him. And he's got a pretty good draw the first couple rounds. 
but he's got to play Kyrgios around a 16. And Kyrgios is having a great year. So I don't think you can count. In fact, right now, I'd give Kyrgios the edge on Medvedev. I mean, he's played a lot more rounds, a lot more big matches, got to the finals of Wimbledon. He feels, you know, he's feeling pretty empowered right now. So I don't know if I would just go right out and say Medvedev against Nadal in the finals. If Nadal is healthy, yes, I think he'll make it to the finals. But even there, I mean, you got guys like Taylor Fritz playing great ball, having a great year. You got, like you said, Alcarez. He hasn't had the year I expected, but still, it's it's he's due for his breakout. Yannick Sinner. I mean, Yannick Sinner's had an incredible year. So I just don't know if you can count on the seeds to, to yeah, make it all the way, especially uh, on the top quick, half of the draw. Yeah, it's hard to quickly, bet against. It's hard to bet against Rafa. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let's quickly go over this projected quarterfinal here battle. So Medvedev versus Ogier Aliassim, the young gun from Canada. Then we have Cameron Nori versus Nadal. Herkic versus Alcaraz and CC Pass versus Rude. So, I mean, obviously that won't happen. That's based on if all one through eight seeds were supposed to make the quarterfinals. But like you said, I mean, you got a lot of talent and Nick Kyrgios played Wimbledon, made the finals. And by the way, guys, there were, were no points in Wimbledon. So if, if Kyrgios was actually, you know, supposed to take home those points, he'd be seated 14 at the open and instead he seated 23 and maybe it doesn't affect so much but for the round of 16 and the round of 32 there will be a difference in who he's supposed to play first round he plays his countryman tanasi kokonakis who's a solid player but in the round of yeah in the um in the round of 32 curioso play Batista Agut, who's always tough. But one match that I did see, Jack, that I wanted to um, highlight for us, Carreño Busta, who's coming off a tournament win versus Dominic Team. That's a that's yeah. going to be an insane first round battle. It will, it will. I'll take Busta. I'll take Busta on that one. He's just had a better year all the way around. Team really hasn't cracked an egg much. And he, yeah, he since hasn't, he, he hasn't he played much. He hasn't played much since oh. he won the Open. Right. And then that's the same, like I said, about Medvedev. You look at their records for the last three, four months. Who's getting the most match play? Kyrgios. He's getting the most match play. He's, he's, he's going all the way in Wimbledon. He wins the next tournament, gets to the semis of the next tournament. So he's got a lot of practice under his belt. And then you got Taylor Fritz, same thing. He's, uh, he won uh, you know, Indian Wells. He did really well at the majors. I just think, you know, and like I said, Medvedev, I love the guy, and, and he was on fire last year. But he really hasn't played that much this year. And when he does, kind of like uh, Grigor, right? Dimitrov's an, a brilliant player. But he lost, what, in the second round up in um, Montreal, uh, third round in another one. Uh, I can't remember. Um, not Winston-Salem. Winston-Salem, he had to pull out, right? He first said he had to pull out. He was getting dizzy. I talked to his coach. I, he said he's not hurt, but he was getting dizzy. So he just hasn't, you know, that's the thing. You can't just look at the seeds. You have to look at how you're playing lately. Rude is playing great lately. Uh, Rublev. Rublev is a brilliant player. He's been playing great lately. I'd take him over Medvedev right now. He's, he's had better wins this year. You know, a, so, a player who's been interesting to me, who I thought was really going to uh, like crack the top 10 when he won Paris, Karen Kachanov. 
Now he's still, he's still seated in the event 27, but I, when I first saw him play a few years ago, he strike me as a guy who was going to be a top 10 guy consistently, especially with a big game like that. He's got a great game. In fact, they're calling for him to not make it to the quarters. I don't know. Who does he play? Uh, Auger? So first round, he plays I would Dennis. Take, I would take Kachanov. I would take Kachanov. So first round, he's playing Dennis Kudla. And then, yeah, in the round of, uh, in the round of it looks like 32, he would play Algier Aliassime, which will be a good battle. Yeah, I'll take, I'll take, I'll take Kachanov. Yep. Most every tournament, I count out Pass and Medvedev one of them is bound to make a run as much as I kind of reject them mentally, just cause I don't really like their games. I like CC passes game more than Medvedev, but Medvedev just reminds me of a 14 year old kid. Who's top five in the East who just bounces around slaps the ball. And I don't know, isn't that fun to watch in my opinion? Yeah. Yeah. For me, I'd be pulling for Nick. Me too. I like him. And hopefully, I like he, Nick. And- hopefully he acts respectfully this U S open uh he's been he's been doing a lot when he keeps his mouth shut on the court man he's got to stop yelling at his box and also that fire has got to come from inside him he's got to be able to tame it he's got to be able to let it loose he shouldn't be yelling at his box why don't you guys fucking standing up this is like something i would do when i was on the court when i was 16 man yeah it's true you were like that Uh, andy murray (laughs) i mean andy murray does that you know what i mean so Murray, players, how, wait, he got it. Did he get a wild card? I know he's in the tournament. He's in the tournament. He's in the top 50 for the first time in like five years. So he is and playing, I love, and you know, he actually looks pretty good. He's playing the 24 seed first round. So that'll be a good test. I think I'll take Andy. I think have I'll you Andy. heard, have you heard of the NCAA champion from Florida, Ben Shelton yet? I sure have. He's so he just special. turned pro. He was actually at the event last night. He's a lefty. Over the past few years, it's been wild to see how these Americans turn out. You remember guys like Donald Young, who was being pushed so hard by the USTA constantly, constantly. When he won Orange Bowl when he was 15 years old, the USTA was right. like, oh, okay, here's the, here's the gateway to number one. Hopefully you can make yeah, they, it this They way. forgot about all my kids, and that really pissed us off because they forgot about Johnson. They forgot about Query. Foreman, Warren, they just poo-pooed those guys, and it was all Donald Young. So it kind of annoyed the rest of us. Why do you think that was, though, when you talk about a guy like Steve Johnson, Sam Query, and Steve Foreman? Why were they pushing Donald Young so much? It was, was it because he was the youngest? Is it because he was African-American? He spends more, spends more time and money with the USTA. Remember, we were in SoCal. We were doing our own thing. And it, 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 it's follow the money, man. That's the way it is. And unfortunately, it, Tennis is filled with whores, and that's the way it is, you know. And the USTA was working with Donald. They weren't working with Sam. They weren't working with Stevie. They eventually did, of course, but uh, that's when they went pro. But, you know, I don't know about this guy because look at Stevie. Greatest record of all time in the NCAAs by far. Right? Didn't even lose. Nobody, didn't drop nobody a... will do what Stevie Johnson did in college. No, right? didn't for those drop of you, a For those of you who don't know, really quick, Jack, Stevie won the – team title four times at USC his freshman through senior year and the individual title his junior and senior year won 72 matches in a row at USC yeah and then and and I you know I worked with him for years and and you know and and in in final year he didn't drop a set in the whole not not just in the NCAA tournament I mean in the whole year he didn't (laughs) drop a set 
So, you know, that's about the greatest you can get. But the pros is a completely different animal. I mean, half of these guys don't even go. I don't think Nadal went to college. Fed didn't go to college. I mean, so McEnroe went a couple of months, you know, maybe a year. I don't know. Uh, Sam Query went for till November the first year. And that was the I, end I, of that. I will say, though, Jack, it seems that college tennis is becoming more popular. You think about a guy like Cameron Norrie, who went to Texas Christian University. See a guy like Cressy who also went to UCLA. So James, it seems that James college Blake. tennis, yeah, college mm-hmm. tennis is getting a little bit more popular nowadays, especially when I think kids from Europe want to come to the U.S., experience it for a little. Maybe they'll go for one or two years. Now, people graduating from college, that hasn't really happened ever and becoming successful on the tour. So I, I, we'll see what happens with college tennis. But for those of you who don't know, the person who wins the NCAA tournament and the guy who wins the 18 and under Kalamazoo both get wild cards into the U.S. Open main draw. So right away, if they lose in the first round, they'll be making $80,000 and they have to decide right then, should I go pro or should I go back to college? A guy like Ben Shelton made the decision like five days ago before he entered the, um, I guess, the playing for peace tournament yesterday that he was going to go pro full time because that's a, yeah, that's that's a life changing amount what of money. That's most of them do. That's what most of them do. It's hard to turn down that money. You can always go, hey, I can go to college when I'm 30. I saw Serena practicing. She's playing well. Uh, Iga Swiatek. I, ju- I just feel like I don't know enough about each player that could potentially win the women's tournament because, I mean, the last few years when Serena hasn't been around, it seemed more wide open. You're right. For a while, it was Serena, Hennon, Davenport. But since then... Since then, it's it's been wide open. And, you know, the one thing you can say is who, whoever you think is going to win the tournament has no chance. I mean, really, no one calls Switek to win it last year. Uh, you know, and you look at these tournaments, the women is just, it's impossible to predict. It's always like the 17th seed in the fi- or the unseeded player in the finals. And I, I don't know. I mean, I think the money's going to be on Serena. Does she win the first round? I mean, I hate to be so crude, but that's the question. She got blown out in the first round at Wimbledon, which is her surface. That's her surface by a girl who looked like Santoro. She chipped on both sides, forehand and backhand, played down the middle. I mean, you know, it was almost like watching an old Hingis-Serena match. And she was just watching Serena make mistake after mistake, trying to come to net, trying to do everything. But Serena just wasn't sharp at all. I mean, that's that's putting it nicely. So the big question is, is Serena going to go around it or two? I, I don't think she's going to win it. Not from the performances I've seen. Um, well, I, I also wouldn't be you know, surprised. I know, I know they like to talk about it like she's got a really good shot, but I'd be shocked. That's, I, ev- that's every tournament, I feel like. And I wouldn't be surprised now if this is her last U.S. Open. Hate to say it. And it goes, I think it goes without saying that Roger Federer hopefully will come back next year to the U S open, but I mean, who knows he's playing in the labor cup. He's playing in Basel. I heard, but the end of this he's playing season, Basel, that's his first yeah, tournament. That's, that's great to see. But I mean, the guys who are top 10 right now, they're young, man. There's a lot of guys who are under 25 years old, who are just hungry and they want to win over Federer in their career. Yeah. From what I heard, Serena did announce this is her last tournament. This is her last tournament. I believe that's what I mean. I read it in a couple of places. So I think this is her farewell performance, not just the last Grand Slam. I believe this is her last tournament. She says she's going to pursue 
uh, other career paths. And I'm sure she'll be all over television because, you know, even though I don't know if she's expected to win anything, she will be covered because she's still the most famous of the women tennis players, you know, playing this tournament. We need better coverage but, from ESPN, ESPN two, whatever. I mean, we need more knowledgeable tennis pros, not just people that have played tennis in the past. You know, like when you think about golf, you think about, um, you think NFL, you think the NBA, the guys who are announcing those sports, they just love the sport in general. You don't need to be a pro to announce those sports, but tennis, I just feel like they don't have enough people who just love the sport. Maybe they played in high school. They tried to play on the college team, couldn't make it. They just have the pros who have won multiple grand slams talking about the tennis game. And it, in my opinion, it would just be so much more interesting if you have somebody who loved the game, was a passionate fan, taking over the announcement. Well, you used to, you used to have it back in the heyday, you know, in the late mid-70s, you had Bud Collins, Vic Braden. Yeah. Uh, not that they were the best, you know, Bud Collins didn't really play, but at least they studied the history. Um, you're right. I mean, most of us pros, I can tell you, we all joke about it. You know, you just turn off the sound, crank up Led Zeppelin and watch the matches because these guys are, they can make a Federer Nadal match boring. I don't know how they do it, but they have a talent. They can make the most exciting match boring. And, and so it's better just to watch the match and, you know, think your own thoughts. You know, So that's where I stand on the commentators, you know. Um, they never slow motion. I mean, you, you see Venus, she'll hit two aces and then she'll hit a double fault and the second serve won't even make it to the net. Do they stop and say, well, listen, does this ever happen to you? Would you like to see what she did? You know, her toss was too no, far. They almost, she... re they almost replay the shanked. You know yeah, what I mean? Even... Like they'll, they'll put a replay on her, like missing the shank and then hitting the top of her racket. You know, I wish they would even do that. They don't even, they just ignore when she makes or anyone makes a mistake, they try to ignore it and just go, oh, these people are great. You know, that happens. But, you know, when you're a tennis nut and most people that watch nowadays are tennis nuts, and there are not too many casual people watching anymore. It's really the diehards. You want to learn something. You want to understand something. So when you see a perfectly lined up passing shot, Instead of slow motioning and making a comment, look at that left hand, go back, look at how they stay at the 45, look at how their arm is nice and bent and it's, it's you know, it's rounded and it's not straight. Or, or if they miss an easy volley, like I did um, a couple of weeks ago, I did a Zoom with a bunch of pros on my site, brodytennis.com. Uh, and, uh, you know, I showed Serena missing like four volleys in a row. I literally taped my television and she was facing the net and she moved with the wrong foot, you know, instead of instead of closing and lining up the shot, she moved with the, the wrong foot and she was facing the net, missed an easy volley. You would have made it 10 out of 10 times, T, 10 out of 10. And she missed it wide by about two feet. But that's what people want to see. They want to go, why did she make that? Why did she miss that? But they don't do any of that stuff. And they do it in golf. They do it in other sports, but not tennis. Do you think that the game of tennis needs a revamp on the scoring side? Now, the rules of tennis to learn are kind of difficult. Like, if you start to try and explain to someone the rules of tennis, there are so many, oh, but that, if that, ha oh, but if that. You know what I mean? Like, in the fifth set, in three out of the four grand slams, or I don't even know if the rule is still intact. You play win by two. You're playing two out of three sets. The scoreboard on the screen, it says 6-1, 
two, one, 30, 40. It's just, it's confusing to people who have never learned the sport or didn't grow up playing it. So do you think that tennis needs a revamp in, in the scoring way? It definitely needs to be sexier. That's for starters. I mean, that was the whole reason in the seventies, it was so popular. It blew golf out of the water. Nobody cared about golf and, and now vice versa. But uh, in the seventies, you know, all the celebrities were playing it. You had great commentary. They would stop the play and go, has this ever happened to you? And, and, you know, it was just more dynamic. Now I just, I watch these, I'm telling you, I watch these guys and and they really, I I can't even say they dumb it down. They bore it down. It's very boring uh, to listen to the commentators, kind of like it was in the seventies to listen to golf commentators, you know, we're Uh, losing also a lot of people. (laughs) We're also losing a lot of people to pickleball, which is awful to see. I tell you that. Yeah. Well, you know, no one ever asked me what I think about pickleball and I try not to talk about it because I'll get, you know, I'll get canceled, but you know, person, personally, personally, I, I think it's a game. I don't think it's a sport. I think it's a game. And also, you know, Teddy, you know, money that when you play a match, when you play a tournament, even in the juniors or college, every time you step on the court, you put your heart on the line. You could get blown out. You could be humiliated. You could have a great day, but I mean, you know that you take a chance on having an awful week. If you lose or you double fault with your partner, right? Doubles, you double fault a game away. So every time you step on the court, you put your heart on the line. Pickleball, I played it. Not so much. It's, it's, I always say pickleball is for quitters. If you don't want to really put your heart on the line and, and take a real chance in tennis and, 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 you know, and have the strokes and have your physicality all together, Go play pickleball because it's like today's version of, to me, it's today's version of shuffleboard, you know, gets you outside and you get to be, feel like you're doing something, but it's not, it's not as emotional as tennis. And, and I don't know, there's, there's no court to cover really. I, I don't know. It's all volleying for the most part. I, I just, I, that's my, that's my opinion. I just think it's people that leave tennis, unless you're really old and you just can't play anymore. But if you're a young person and you leave tennis, you, you're a quitter. You just you, know, you don't want to put your heart on the line anymore. What do you think stopped me from being a touring level U.S. Open type player? What do you think the difference between myself and a Sam Query, a Steve Johnson, a Steve Foreman was? I mean, those guys have played more tournaments by the time they were 12 than you did all the way through college. So that's for starters. I mean, I can, t- I can tell you, Stevie, he would, he, his dad would tell me we have, you know, we did a lot together. His, his father Steve, and I we were Steve pals. Johnson? Yeah. Steve Johnson. He, 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 at two years old, he was hitting a, a beach ball in the backyard. Father would just give him a racket and a beach ball. And, and just to keep the kid busy, he said he'd go out there for two hours and just be hitting that ball all around. And, you know, he was winning gold balls by the time he was 11 years old, which is a national tournament for those of you who don't know. And like I said, he played more matches by the time he was 12 than you probably played in your entire career. So that kind of begins the whole thing. Um, And then New York's a tough place to do it. I mean, unless you're a McEnroe and you've got the money behind you and you've got the coaching behind you and they see you in the 12s as a phenom, then they put, you know, USTA or whoever puts the money behind you. 
um, it, it's tough to get the kind of practice they get in Texas, Florida, and California, and, and Argentina, and Spain, and it's almost impossible. You know how expensive court time is when you can get it, when you can get it. So, I mean, but we did pretty well with you. I mean, when I met you, I don't know if you want to tell your, your fans this. When we first met, the reason I believe that we even got introduced was you were waning on tennis, right? You, you came out of, the, out of the shoot pretty strong in the tens and you had an aptitude for the game, which happens to a lot of people, kind of like, oh, my son's a genius in first grade. You know, but <laughs> you get to the eighth grade, you know, it's a whole different world. It's the same with tennis. A lot of people start off quickly and you did, but then between, if I'm not mistaken, between 12 and 14, things didn't get easier for you. And, and it was a beast of burden. You loved the game and you were, you were doing your school and all that for the game of tennis, but you weren't winning much. So you were pretty pissed off. And then I was brought in to try and salvage the situation, but I almost think you were about to, to leave the game. But then when I think about it, you really only had about three years where you really worked hard and you got a lot better. You went from a first, second round guy to winning tournament or two, beating some guys that you never thought you'd beat, you know, years earlier to getting into college tennis, which was our goal, right? So these guys like Stevie Johnson and Sam Query, they've been serious, not for three years like you. They've been serious since they were six, five, four, you know, since they literally could be serious and they never backed off. I mean, Stevie was hungry the whole time. Uh, and it really, honestly, it wasn't until his dad passed away that I saw him start to trail off. You know, he was always on a, on a pretty much of an up, uphill route. He was doing great. He was in the top 50. I think he got as high as 32 in the world. And then his dad passed away, literally. And, and, and then all of a sudden you saw his ranking go down. What do you think the difference is then with tennis compared to a basketball, a football might be more obvious if you're playing uh, a position sport, but, but a soccer or golf, it, what's, the, what's the difference between tennis, you know, in terms of me taking the game serious for three years and you hear guys like Antonacupo, the guy who plays for the Milwaukee Bucks, starting to play basketball when he was 15 or 16 years old. Yeah, I, I, I think for starters, tennis is a solo sport. So you really have to compare it more to boxing. You can't really compare it to a team sport. And I think, um, and I think when you have, when you're a role player like basketball, you can be like a Dennis Rodman, you know, he couldn't shoot for shit, but he sure could play defense and he'd get in your face and he did his role and he was unbelievable at that role. Tennis is a whole different world. I mean, going back to Stevie a bit, the reason he had a tough time, I think, you know, cracking the top 10 ever or top 20 ever, backhand, backhand was weak. And in tennis nowadays, you have to have it all and then some. You know what I mean? You have to have the, the big topspin backhand. You have to be able to flatten it out, slice, drop shot. And you can't just have a chip backhand. And that's all Stevie used was the chip so, but he did as well as you possibly could, I think, with just a chip backhand. But yeah, back to tennis, I think it's easier to be a role player. You know, you just go, okay, that's it. I'm going to do this. But, but, you know, to be honest, in tennis, there were some guys. Stan Smith started apparently at 16. So there were some guys that just have this raw talent. Um, you know, even Nick Kyrgios, he doesn't seem to love the game. I think he's liking it a little bit more now. 
but he doesn't really love the game. And they said Agassi didn't particularly love the game in the beginning. Um, but they have so much talent. I mean, Kyrgios has more talent in his little finger than I will in a lifetime. So, you know, sometimes talent just prevails, you know, even though we all want to say, you know, son, try your best and you can do anything. Sometimes talent it, it really trumps all. So that's well, my feeling good. on that individual sport versus a team sport. But what do you think about the women? You, you got any ideas? I have none. So, I mean, you know. I mean, to talk about the younger, you know, the younger women coming in, I mean, you're seeing Jessica Pagula finally getting to the top of her game at an older age, 28 years old. She's seated eight. You know, you can see a, a girl like that making it far. Ange Jabor, people who have been in the game for a few years now were not like the 21 and 22-year-olds are winning. Like last year, yes, of course, Emma Raducanu won it at 19 years old or 18 years old. I can't remember how old she was back then. But I think we're going to see an off-brand late 20-year-old take the tournament. Seated anywhere from eight, Jessica Pegula, to potentially unseated. I don't know, maybe Iga Swiatek being the one seed. She's been pretty dominant over the past six to nine months. So we can talk about her, but Still you're not, you're not say. seeing one person dominate as you did back in the day. Like you were talking about a uh, Justine and Arden, uh, Serena Williams, Lindsay Davenport situation. Well, you haven't really seen a player like Justine in a long time. And that's what tennis is going to need in the women's side to bring back the uh, excitement. But why do you women. see, why do you see like, you know, Ash Barty just recently retired, Justine Ennen, she retired when she was before 26. 30 years old, if you correct me if I'm wrong. And they, these were two of the most talented women over the last 15, 20 years of the sport. Well, Justine had personal issues, which, you know, we don't want to get into, but she had some personal issues between parent, family and husband and all that. Um, so, and look, you even have that problem with uh, Osaka last year. I mean, it's funny, you know, a lot of pressure in tennis, uh, you know, not just the money, but just, you know, being in that big stadium and everything else. Um, and it's been a little difficult to say. I mean, you see Anz Jabber, you look like she should have won that last tournament, but she didn't, she couldn't finish it. You know, a lot of choking going on. I personally think uh, the world's waiting for the Roger Federer. I, I don't think we've seen it. I don't think we've seen it on the women's, on the women's side. side. I don't think so. I mean, you could say Margaret Corey, you could say Justine Nennon, some would say Serena, but anyone of you know five foot nine or up to six foot one not built like serena could never play like her she didn't have an effortless game you know i think we haven't seen the woman yet with the effortless game even ronda Cano, i watch her strokes she's top heavy she, she's shoulder dominant and you see roger and hennon and some of those players they really move from their core um and I think a lot of it is athleticism, not just athleticism and coaching. I think the coaches will tell you, rotate your shoulders where the guys play soccer and, you know, they move with their lower body, right? All the Europeans play soccer and they move with their lower body. So they're used to the ground up type of tennis. And then our women are taught, oh, do this, then toss on your serve, bend your knees, stand up. Where you see the men, they, they know how to throw a ball so they don't bend their knees. They sort of twist their legs like vines and so their legs get shorter but they don't just simply bend their knees so i don't think we've seen the natural yet um uh, 
in the women's side. And I think we will someday. We're going to see someone dominate. I, Coco, I really believe that. Coco Golf also looking uh, looking good too. 18 years old, which is crazy to think that she's so young of the 11 seed. She looks really good to me. She yeah, looks really so. good to me. And Catastina, whatever her name, Castestina, whatever. She, she looks Wimbledon? great too. Yeah, yeah, she looks good to me too. Um, but you just can't say. You can't say who's going to dominate. And like you said, Rod Connor won it last year. But if you sit down and slice up her game and look at it, you just see she's a little upper body dominant, which means, in my opinion, she's going to miss more than the person that's in their core. So I don't know. I, I, I just can't say. I can never predict the women's, and I, I always lose when I try. How about men's? Um, so, well, men's, uh, I'm going to go with either Nadal or Kyrgios. And, uh, of course, if Nadal's healthy, I'll give it to Nadal. So it just depends. You know, is he going to pull out? You know, when he played Taylor and, and he didn't pull out and he beat Taylor, I got a text from Taylor's dad that night, the night he lost. And he just couldn't believe it. He says, oh, my son needs to see an eye doctor. He, he goes, what's the name of your eye doctor? <laughs> but i don't know what he meant by that but but i mean that was a shame i think they were pretty upset that he uh you know back in the 70s if if someone was hurt like nadal they would have retired at match point they would have that's the way it was back in the 70s maybe it's just too much money now for rafa and too much for him to want to retire he's just not the type I mean, but, you'll, uh, you'll never see Nadal retire at a Grand Slam. Djokovic, he did kind of back in the day. He was retiring from a lot of events in his early 20s. It was weird to see when he had that whole bouncing the ball 20 times era. Well, he still does over. that, but he had, the, he had the gluten problem. That was what yes. it was. But no, they were pretty up. They were not happy uh, with that uh, default in the semis to Kyrgios. But like I said, in the men's, I just have to go with who's playing well. Kyrgios has had the best season behind Rafa. So you got to give him some due. And you haven't really heard Medvedev cracking an egg in the last six tournaments. So even though he's the number one seed, I don't necessarily pick him to win. I'm taking Alcaraz. I'm taking Alcaraz. You know what? I, th I think I'm that, a big I mean, Alcaraz. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. I love his game, man. It's just like I, I watched some YouTube of him the other day playing indoors with Juan Carlos Ferrero standing next to him. The sound of his ball is just insane. It sounds like he's breaking the ball every time he hits. And he's insanely quick. That's another thing. If you want to know why you didn't make it, some of these guys are so quick. You have no and so strong. Look at you. You're a skinny Jew. You're just like me. You're just a regular guy. Right. Bro, what? Is, Dog, yeah, I'm, I'm 70. Mine's bigger grind, than you. Bro, should we do push-ups <laughs> right now? <laughs> no, but I mean, these guys are beasts. I mean, you say Alcaraz is skinny. He's not skinny. He's got solid core. He gets to balls that are so difficult. And when he gets there, he makes it look easy. And I'm like, oh my God, he got there with time to spare. So you're right. I think Alcaraz is going to have a breakout tournament. I'd love it to be this one. I think you got to watch out for Yannick Sinner. I think he's a beast, and what a beautiful game he's got. I saw him on court one yesterday briefly warming up. He was at the What'd baseline. He, what? What'd you think? So he was at the baseline hitting backhands to his coach at the service line, like five feet in front of him. So it was just like a lot of touch and feel like – top spin right to his coach and then started hitting backhands cross court backhands down the line super smooth 
Uh, he's another guy who bashes the ball and you see like almost every single shot. He really looks like he's balanced up to the ball, like a Djokovic kind of how I, how I picture his ground strokes. Yeah. I, I, I think they're beautiful. I, I would say let's pick top four. That makes it better. Nadal, Kyrgios, Sinner, and I'm going to go with you on Al. I'm going to go with you on Alcaraz. All right, man. I'll so, take that too. All right, I'll take that too. Jack, dude, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast. I've known Jack for freaking, I guess, 17 years now. Yes, I'm I'm older than 17 years old, but um, always a pleasure talking to you, man. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk offline. And guys, tune in to the U.S. Open because it's a really fun time. And if you guys are in New York City these two weeks, definitely try and get to a match. Even though it's hot as hell, you can get a day pass for 50 to 75 bucks. And uh, it'll be one of the better times of your oh, life. Oh, yeah. For sure. Try to get a cooler day, though. <laughs> yeah, we'll see, man. It's freaking hot out there. Jack, thank it, you so it, much, it's... as always. And guys, check out BrodyTennis.com. Jack, anything else you want to plug before we get out of here? No, I just think lately I've had some really interesting podcasts. So when they go to the thing at BrodyTennis.com, go check, go right to the podcast. They're free. And I talked to some, you know, coaches of guys in the top 10. And uh, like I said, this last one with Tanner was pretty spectacular for anyone over 40 years old. You'd know the guy. And uh, I'm not even sure how you know him, T-Money, because you're a young guy. But but he was infamous. More than famous. He was infamous, you know. So anyway, no, T, I had a great time. Thanks, Jack. Thanks so much, man. We'll talk offline.